everyone, and welcome to another episode of an InQtel podcast. Today in the studio, I'm joined by Nick, a member of our technical staff, who's going to be talking to us about social bots, the proliferation and the growth of. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. And yourself? Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Great to have you. Yeah. Hey, listen, so we were chatting a little bit before, just in sort of planning what we wanted to talk about today, and you piqued my interest when you started talking specifically about how social bots have manipulated uh, my life. Let's start a little bit. Uh, let's start off today just a little bit by you explaining to our audience what what a social bot is and where it came from. Yeah, so I, I regret to inform folks that a large swath of the activity that uh, they experience out on uh, certainly Twitter and probably other platforms like Facebook, Instagram. I could go on and on. Um, most of that stuff is uh, not human. So these are accounts that. Uh, we call them sock puppets, where one human will run, in some cases, thousands of different accounts uh, to elicit responses from you. Uh, to sort of, but why? Why do they do <laughs> why this? Do this? Right? Yeah. Um, so there's big money in this in this space in terms of uh, basically selling likes or followers to people, uh, so that you appear, you know, above the fold when you're scrolling, or you get. Uh, in some cases, like a verified account, those are very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a this is a market that has um, millions of dollars behind it in terms of driving what people see on these platforms, mm. which is largely driven by how their algorithms rank things and, and position them. So Nick, it sounds a lot like there's a lot of commercial applications. Is this truly just so? Are, are, are social bots just out there to try to drive business for commercial entities, and that's it? I wish. Uh, so, so while a lot of them are out there to certainly sell and transact in these social behaviors on these platforms, uh, as evidenced by uh, some of the recent research over the past year, year and a half or so, um, there's quite a bit of evidence that other sort of state actors or near peers, as we call them, are using these types of platforms to shape what you believe and what you participate in from a dialogue perspective on these different platforms. So you're telling me that my perspectives on something in real life could potentially have been influenced or impacted by a, a computer algorithm, uh, a robot, a social bot. Absolutely, yeah. So a lot of a lot of them recently, you may have seen, I'm sure in the media, quite a few um, articles have been coming out around a lot of research for how these bots interact with people to get you to retweet them or to get you to argue with someone you think is real on, you know, your Facebook profile. A lot of these things are just there to elicit a response and to to push a certain a certain collection of language or ideas through a social graph of which you are possibly a part of. I see. Well, before we dig deeper into this, what seems to be fairly intriguing world of social bots, let's talk a little bit about how they're made, uh, the technology behind them, and perhaps why are they such a big deal now versus, uh, you know, a long time ago? Yeah, so so the tech behind them is still fairly um, kind of brute force. So most of these bots are actually purchased, so they'll be built uh, somewhere else, not in the United States of America usually. Uh, they'll be built by folks that are doing a 100 or so 150 or so different account builds per day so their job is literally to sit in a room and make facebook accounts or make twitter accounts or instagram or whatever uh and they're using in a lot of cases sort of pirated cell phones or living off of um parts of the telecommunications infrastructure in these other countries so they're building these things by hand and then selling them to folks that are engaged in 
sort of gray hat, uh, like search engine optimization or uh, page ranking or liking and that kind of stuff here in the U.S. that are often like digital marketing consultants, kind of is what they describe them as sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really low, sort of low tech brute force for the account creation, but then they automation of tens of thousands of these bots is, is typically done with uh, software that you can go buy if you weasel your way into some of the black hat areas of the internet. Um, you can buy the software that'll allow you to, to run it on a virtual private server and, and run thousands of accounts. Um, so it's a little bit of software, a lot of just humans banging on keyboards. Uh, and then conversationally, to, to make these bots basically carry on conversations with other humans, that's something that's really bleeding edge research and multi-turn dialogue. Uh, so there's a collection of open source algorithms that really any of us could go use to build bots that can then carry on conversations online and often go undetected. So if you're arguing with what you think is a uh, crazy crazy person on Facebook and you've spent four or five turns with that person, it may not actually be a person. Wow. So let me get this straight. It sounds like there's a market for uh already created fake accounts that I could purchase, say, somewhere off the dark web. Then I could complement that with some technology that makes this fake account actually behave like a human being, where in, in, social, set, in social media settings, like this account will actually go out and make friends and start sending messages and respond to, uh, respond to other things that are coming inbound to that account. Uh, that's, that's interesting. Why, why, again, what is the whole point behind doing any of this? Why, why would I want to buy something like this and spend so much effort getting it to be automated? Yeah, so, so one part of that sort of economy there is that uh, brands, uh, some brands and some people uh, will go out and pay good money for you to like their page. Uh, so you can go out and, I think, check prices yesterday or the day before that. Uh, so for a thousand likes on a Facebook page, you might expect to pay ten or fifteen dollars or so, um, and then that economy drives, you know, the idea that you can sort of inorganically build these sort of pages and and followings if you're an individual that will then place you in, in a ranking methodology that's higher than right. others, uh, so you show up places. And then the other side of that is. If I'm a nation state and I want to play in the affairs of another digitized nation state, this is probably a pretty good way to do it. So are certain bots better than, than other bots? Or are all bots created equal and really it's just the human behind them that makes them better or worse? Bot equality is still not uh, a thing yet. So there's low-tier bots that are uh, maybe built by a person that don't have a good phone number backing them. You know, you may get to do one or two likes or one or two retweets before one of the platforms bans one of these bots. But you can buy those, for instance, for like Twitter for 10 or 15 cents a piece, or Facebook, you can buy them for 30 cents a piece or so. Um, as you move up that tier, uh, you're moving into bots that have been aged on these platforms. So they may have been created back in 2009, uh, and they have 500 followers, and they're sort of white glove curated by human actors on the other side, and those will cost you like on a platform like Facebook, maybe $45 or so. I see. Um, so there's definitely tiers in there in terms of what's available. So I, I see why bots, I see why a brand would want to have a bot on its behalf, right? It's in other words, it's sort of an augment, augmentation to your marketing efforts. Sure. Like, hey, this bot's going to go out and spell the values of our product or our brand or whatever, or pro, uh, our, our company in general. Um, could you tell me a little bit about other use cases that might not be so straightforward? Um, you know, you mentioned state actors. That's, that's particularly intriguing. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, the history of what we call in our business information operations is humans have been conducting information operations probably since we learned to talk to each other. Um, and these are basically me trying to influence you to do something. So it's not unlike marketing or, you know, really any kind of digital marketing or regular advertising. Um, the stuff we're seeing today with this emergence of social media-based or social platform-based information operations is really just because that medium uh, introduces less friction than we've had before. So in the good old days of information operations, I might need a bullhorn or a plane to drop leaflets out or something like that. Whereas now, I just need an automated script on my computer that I can run that conduct these operations without a human involved. So it's just sort of this natural progression of uh, influencing populations. So I see. So a lot of it is uh, as, a, as a sort of a modern day propaganda tool to get people or groups of people to think a certain way or to right. share a particular perspective that might want to make its way into sort of the mainstream way of thinking. Absolutely. That's a little terrifying. It's, you know, it's just like marketing, but kind of different. <laughs> I guess that's an easy, that's a better way to look at it. All right, Nick. So tell me a little bit about how uh, if somebody wants to figure out if that they're if they're dealing with a bot, if they're not so s sure if there's a human on the other end, what, what are some techniques or rules of thumb you think people should employ when uh, engaging with these things online? Yeah, so the lower tier bots, uh, I get them on Twitter quite frequently of these kind of random looking accounts that will follow you and you'll see that they have, you know, a thousand followers and 10,000, you know, following or something like that. They've got these really high inflated numbers and typically their profiles look very strange. Uh, sometimes they involve scantily clad people. Um, usernames often look like a combination of letters and numbers that are generated possibly by a computer program. And they're very vociferous. So they'll retweet or like or post, you know, at a rate that no normal employed human being could could ever match. Uh, so the behavioral aspects are usually pretty easy to pick up if it's a lower tier uh, persona or, or, or bot. The higher tier sort of troll-like bots are the ones that maybe look a little more human, uh, but still are, it's very evident that this is someone's job to go out there and, and basically post. So you may see them on, on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram where they have thousands of friends or something like that, but they they post or they engage in activity you know 20 30 times an hour or something like that so i'm sure there are people that do that quite legitimately out in the world but uh, not to the scale so really you can just look at the behavior in most cases um, and then it's an important step to also when you find those accounts to flag them for the platforms if you can or block them or, or whatever the you know platform enables mm -hmm. so that you can hopefully help that clean up Right. That sort of leads really nicely into what I want to talk to you about next, which is how do we stop these things? If uh, Or are there any efforts in place to stop these things? I can imagine that perhaps not all bots should be allowed to uh, pontificate upon the things that they, they do. And uh, are there any efforts, whether uh, in the private sector or in the sort of government space, to stop these things? Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of work coming out of the kind of academic side around uh, bot detection, open source tools for... Uh, sort of detecting whether or not an account's posting uh, something that might be fake or, or at least sort of low on the authority from a content standpoint. Uh, University of Washington's done some good work there, as well as University of Indiana. Uh, Oxford's Computational Propaganda Lab has done some fantastic work with Sam Woolley there. Um, and then Thomas Ridd out of Johns Hopkins has done some good things as well. 
Uh, there have been, over the past several months or so, uh, kind of a lot of a lot of work done on the Hill, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, major platforms have been up to the Hill to testify about what's going on inside of their platforms. Uh, remains to be seen as kind of what that'll turn out to be, but uh, I anticipate that continuing for quite some time. I see. As you'd mentioned earlier in our conversation that a lot of the tools or a lot of these accounts that you even use to, that a person would even use to say start a, a bot are available through, um, you know, dark web. Uh, in other words, not, not sort of commercially uh, readily available platforms. Um, given the fact that they're sourced from there, is there any sort of legal recourse against uh, sh shutting those down together altogether? Are there, is there any sort of an interest in preventing the purchase of these things to, to start with? Not that I've encountered. Uh, so a lot of these purchases are made, you know, in deep dark web environments through cryptocurrency. Uh, so perhaps as some regulation seems to be taking form around cryptocurrency, there may be some way to do it that way. But I, I suspect this is an area that's going to find these accounts have they're going to find their way into our dialogue on these platforms. Um, for as long as we keep these platforms open. And so it's a really interesting national debate about, um, you know, we have open platforms like this and it also makes it hard to police them for activity that you think shouldn't be there, which of course is a free speech, First Amendment kind of kind of discussions. Right, also a discussion perhaps for another day. Another day, for sure, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I suspect we'll, f we'll find these types of activities wherever there's open internet. So it's, Great. Well, hey, Nick, I think we're out of time for today. I just wanted to say thank you for being a part of our show. Uh, I know that you have a blog post that will be released fairly soon that talks a lot about what we've discussed today in greater detail. I encourage our listeners to go check it out at the IQT.org website. Um, if there's any other resources that you can think of for our audience, uh, now would be the time to pipe up about them. Yeah, I think uh, the University of Indiana has a great uh, piece of working software on bot detection on Twitter, which is fun. You can actually go play with it. Uh, so that's kind of neat. Uh, the University of Washington has also done some work uh, recently on computational propaganda as, as well as Oxford. Oxford has a uh, comprop, so computational propaganda lab, where they publish quite regularly on, on research. So it's the academic institutions are, are kind of leading the charge here. It's, it's, those are three I'd recommend. Great. And before we let you go, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you'd like to let our listeners know about? I think we covered most everything. I would just uh, offer the caution to not believe everything you read on the internet. And for good reason as well. Nick, thank you for your time today. A special thanks to Melissa, our creative director, and our sound engineer, John. Uh, again, you can learn more about what we've talked about at the IQT.org website. Look for Nick's blog post coming out soon. Mm -hmm.